Well, if you are following along in your bulletin and want to look at the text that we're going to be in for tonight's sermon, uh, that is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. I do encourage you, if you're capable or if you're able to do so, to please follow along uh, as we briefly spend just a couple of moments in God's Word together, uh, looking at the promise, the prophecy of the birth of Christ from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. I'll actually read these and then briefly pray, and we'll begin. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would meet us. Meet us in your word. Show us the power of your word and what your word says and how it grabs hold of us. And brings us to yourself. We pray this through Christ who has come to us. Amen. You know, I am one of those people. I I say one of those people. I don't know if there are a lot of people like this. So maybe I'm the only one. But I think you can tell a lot about somebody by uh, what their favorite Christmas movie is. So there's some folks who are more the traditionalist. You know, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. that, That crowd full of nostalgia, full of just the warmth of the holiday and all that is contained therein. And then there's the crowd that are more in line with like Elf, and uh, they, they, they like a lot of sugar. Uh, they've never had a bad day. They're extremely extroverted. Uh, they kind of get on the nerves of a lot of the introverted crowd, and they, they're always talking a few octaves too high, and that's the Elf crowd. And there's really no need to discuss. There, there's the diehard crowd. The folks who think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I saw some of you just now like kind of make a fist pump like, yeah, that's me. Um, uh, But anyway, that's there's really no need to discuss the Die Hard crowd. Uh, But then there's the crowd that when you talk about sentimentality, you don't mean like it's a wonderful life or anything like that. You, You want even more sentimentality. You go directly to like Hallmark Channel and you go to what the 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 warm fuzzies, the, the, all of that that is just a part of a Hallmark Christmas. Hallmark mo- Christmas movies, there's about 900 million of them. That is an exact count. Um, there, there's about 900 million of them, and it's like they're all cut from the same cookie cutter. Uh, they all have the same plot. They all have the same tried and true recipe. Uh, I know this because I've seen one, and so I'm an expert. Uh, just a couple of nights ago, I was having a hard time sleeping. Uh, so I, I, it was one of those nights I woke up. And you know, like you wake up and it's not like, okay, I'm going to toss and turn and roll back over and go to sleep. You're like, oh, okay, I'm awake. Uh, so I, I kind of shuffled quietly uh, from the bedroom to the living room, uh, hoping not to kick a toy or stub my toe on a Christmas decoration. And so I, I, I lay on the couch in the living room, 2 a.m., have a pillow, have a blanket, and I turn on the TV and I say, you know what, I'm going to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. And so I, I turn it on and immediately within like five minutes, you got the plot pegged, right? 
There's the uh, hardworking, uh, uh, uber high achieving uh, woman who has come back from the big city job to come in her hometown uh, or to come spend uh, Christmas in her hometown. She's staying with mom. She's helping decorate for like the town Christmas light festival and all of that. But her first day volunteering there, mom signed her up, by the way, uh, her first day volunteering, she finds that her ex-boyfriend is the one coordinating the effort for the town Christmas light show. And so there's some bad history there. And so there's some awkwardness. There's some snide remarks said under her breath, some passive aggressiveness. It seems that he really broke her heart about 10 years ago. But what we start to see as the viewer that she doesn't quite know yet is that he has changed. He's different now. He's got a softer side. He's more sensitive. He's more caring. He's not selfish as much anymore. He actually quit. This guy actually quit a promising music career to come home and take care of family when they were in a pinch. But she doesn't know that. She thinks he's a dirtbag. So the movie goes along, but she starts to see it, right? And they start to fall in love. And what, what you start to, you step back from and you say, okay, she's only been back in town for like 36 hours now, yet somehow they've had three dates and spent four and a half weeks decorating for this Christmas festival. So eventually, though, as, as sparks are starting to fly, as they're starting to fall in love, uh, what you then see, though, is that she gets the phone This happens in every Christmas, every Hallmark Christmas movie. You know the phone call, right? The phone call comes from her office in the big city. It's a friend of hers saying, hey, this promotion that you applied for before you left to go home, uh, it, it's yours. It's at your fingertips. All you have to do is fly back to town on Christmas Eve and interview at 7 o'clock Christmas Eve night. Because that's when all of the job interviews and big business meetings are, right? 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve night. So tearfully, she says, that's what I've always wanted. She hugs her mom goodbye. She tells the guy that she has to go. She has no choice. She has no choice in the matter. And she departs for the airport. Well, the poor guy in the story, he continues to finish decorating for the Christmas show, the light show. And as everything's coming together and their darkness has fallen on Christmas Eve and the town has come out for the Christmas Eve light show for the lights to be fired up and all that, uh, that's another thing that's weird. All the business meetings are at 7 on Christmas Eve and all these towns all this effort for a big Christmas production, and they decide to debut it at like 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Isn't that like, like normally they start around Thanksgiving, right? But I don't know. Anyway, uh, the, all the decorations have gone on. Everything's ready to go. And he's making this, uh, this speech to the gathered citizens of the town, talking about the Christmas spirit. Everybody's come together uh, to, to save the light show. It was on the canceled of course and yet all the hard work and all the town banding together was magic back to the town and as he's finishing the speech he sees the girl walk up and he sees her walk up and she's kind of got tears in her eyes and so the speech concludes and he goes and talks to her and they have a warm embrace and she looks in his eyes and says i couldn't get on the airplane i realized that i thought i wanted city but everything i've ever wanted is right here that's Oh, you laugh because it's true. You laugh because it's true. Every single Hallmark movie, the tried and true recipe. And some of you think that is the most sappy thing in the world. It's sappy. It's predictable. But predictable isn't so bad in 2020, isn't it? Or is it? Some of you would say, okay, we have had enough unpredictability this year. 
two hours of getting to sit and watch a TV show or a movie, even though I know exactly how it's going to go within the first three minutes, sign me up. Who cares if you know exactly everything's going to go? Let me ask you a question. With us rounding the corner, hopefully, out of 2020, could you use a little bit of predictable? Have you had enough of unpredictable? Enough unprecedented? I said a few weeks ago in a message here uh, that I'm tired of hearing the phrase unprecedented times. Maybe you're like me. You're ready for precedented times again. We've all had enough of that. Can't wait for normalcy. Can't wait for ball games. Can't wait for concerts. Visiting loved ones without having this like ominous or ominous uh, kind of uneasy feeling that I might be typhoid Mary or patient zero taking a deadly virus to those I'm having dinner with. Yet for as good as normalcy can be, it's perfectly understandable to pursue that and want that right now in the midst of a year that has been very unnormal. For as good as that is and for as nice as predictability is, there's a danger that we face with normalcy or predictability as it relates to Christmas. And here's what it is. We become so familiar that we actually lose sight of the power and the wonder and the majesty of Jesus Christ. We go to the manger. We see the baby. We see Mary. We see Joseph. We see the wise men. We see the gifts. And we lose sight of what it means for us. And perhaps we get so lost in, lost might not be the right word, so perhaps we get so focused on the first coming of Jesus that we lose sight of the promise of the second coming of Jesus and what it means for us as people who are looking back in our rearview mirror upon Jesus' coming. Well, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, helps us to not lose our sense of awe at the story of the birth of Jesus. Follow along again as I read it. I know I read it at the outset, but let's read it again. And as I read it, though, I want you to hear Isaiah say some things that might be a little beyond the manger, a little beyond the wise men and Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus. It starts with a child is born, but then it promises so much more. And Isaiah is grabbing hold of us and saying, here's what I want you to see about this one who is to come. Isaiah writes, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, as Isaiah writes this, here's the fascinating thing about what he's saying. Of course, under the inspiration and direction of God himself, he's writing to a people who were living in fear. He's writing to a people who were living worried about what the days and months and years ahead held for them. They're facing impending doom, not impending doom from a pandemic, or at least not that we know of, but the people of Judah to whom he was writing this in 700 B.C., 2,700 years ago, approximately, the people he was writing this to had a superpower, the Assyrians, who were bearing down upon them and bringing or promising to bring about their destruction. He was writing to a people who were long on dread and short on awe. It's possible Isaiah's audience was thinking some of the same things we're thinking about in 2020. 
Maybe they were saying, man, 700 B.C., what a year. I can't wait for 699 B.C. Think about it, it goes the other way in the B.C. We look at the world today, sure, pandemics, government crises, terrible injustice on the streets of America and across the world. And we look at it and we say, somebody has to come fix this. Maybe you, in your own life, you look at the rubble of your life, maybe decisions you've made, maybe relationships that have had falling out. You look at things in your life that have not panned out the way you hoped they would at the beginning of this year or at the beginning of a marriage or at the beginning of, of a college journey or whatever it is, and you say, somebody has to come fix this. And what Christmas holds up for all of us to see is that amidst all the ills and evils of the world, of which there are innumerable amount of them, Christ came to address them, but he came to address them by first addressing us. By first addressing our hopes, our hearts, our sense of awe. You see, the coming of Jesus at Christmas is not a manner so that he could come and slap you on the back of the head and say, all right, shut up, like a, like a school teacher might tell an unruly student to get their act together. Jesus did not come to force cold uninterested obedience. The hope in the midst of the groanings of Christmas is to find the one who has come that our hearts might be awakened to adore him. Christmas is the story of Jesus coming in order that we might know the very smile of God upon us. So Isaiah writes, there's a child that, has been, that will be born, a son that will be given, That makes kind of sense for us thus far, the birth of a baby, a son to Joseph and Mary. But then it's like he, he, you know, accelerates this thing exponentially and makes all sorts of prophecies about him. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What Isaiah is saying is that Jesus did not come to leave you or to leave me or to leave this world in the existence in which we find ourselves. He came that we may be welcomed into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of the Most High. He came in order not that our lives might find the rubber stamp of God right now and in order that we might look at him and say, God, would you please fix this world I'm living in? I've had enough of it. He came in order that we might find and enjoy and taste the perfect love, mercy, and goodness of God. Don't take my word for it. Listen to how Isaiah describes him. He describes him as a wonderful counselor. Speaking of Jesus' perfect wisdom, his perfect plans, his perfect knowledge. He is perfect in all that he does and all that he accomplishes, and he invites you to bring the swirling storm of your life and come to him and to rest in his mercy. In fact, he summons you to come to him and find the purpose for which you were created. To taste and see that he is good. And to be brought from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Where God is not a distant being who you aren't quite sure what he's doing in the world. But where he is near to you. And he can be known. He can be enjoyed. He can be trusted. But not only is he a wonderful counselor, he's mighty God. He's supreme in his power. There's nothing that can threaten him, that can topple him, that can usurp his power. His church has labored in darkness and even despair for centuries and centuries and centuries, yet her testimony to his power continues on as he brings 
people to life in Him. Though the fires of this world may rage all around us, He walks through the fire and carries His church to her eternal joy in Him. He is the mighty God who moves mountains. He is the mighty God who rolls stones away from the tomb. And He is the mighty God who brings life into the spiritually dead. Maybe that's the position you're in right now. Where you say, knowing God, He would have to do some kind of supernatural work in me. I have no interest in Him. I have no desire for Him. Frankly, I don't know if He's even real, or even if He is real, I don't know that I would trust Him. I don't know that He has any relevance for my life today. Well, perhaps in that state, you are a lot more aware of where you ought to be. And aware of the fact that God calls you to come to him. But he calls you to come to him, and then he gives you the wings by which to come to him. He is the mighty God who does not throw a, throw, throw a life jacket to the dead, drowning man, and say, come and swim to me. He is the mighty God who comes to the dead one and breathes life into them. May Christ give you new life this Christmas. You would see that he is not distant, but he is dear. But he is not only wonderful counselor, he's not only mighty God, he's everlasting father. He is our compassionate protector, our merciful provider. His tenderness towards us is so rich that no matter what sinful mess we may bring before him, he meets us with a smile and an embrace. He grabs hold of us with nail-scarred hands and brings us in closely to feel his heart, which is beating to the tune of his all-encompassing love for us. And he is our Prince of Peace. He sees the evils of this world and he promises that he will vindicate the cause of the oppressed and the tormented. He will inaugurate a day and age where the kingdoms of this world with their strifes and wars are but a faint memory while those who live in the glory of his name live in the promise that the sun never sets on the direct experience of his love for those who are his. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you read that and think, okay, Isaiah, I get it. Sounds great. That is a God that is good to describe. If you said, describe your perfect God, describe what you would want in a God, that's a pretty good attempt, Isaiah. Now we're 2,700 years after this. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We're in the midst of a year where it seems like nothing is going right. Maybe your 2021 already doesn't look so promising. I don't know if you've seen the weather forecast, but we've got a big storm coming in tomorrow. A perfect fit to the end of 2020 would be losing power on Christmas, right? And you say, Isaiah, you, you make bold claims. But how do I know that God would see this through? How do I know that God would bring this about? Well, I know it because he's already begun it. Here we are 2,700 years after Isaiah first penned these words, and we are gathering here to rejoice in King Jesus, who is already all of these things. Our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. He is all of these things in our souls. For those who know Christ, for those who belong to him. In fact, let me invite you in to know a little bit of the hidden secret of Christianity. 
the work that we as Christians, the work that we long for as a church for God to do in the world has actually already begun in our souls. And perhaps a good question for you to ask the Christian in your life this Christmas season is just simply, wait, you have this? You know this God? Can you help me to understand it? That Christian won't share with you all the ways that God has made their life perfect ever since they became a Christian. But they will share with you the ways that God has proven himself sufficient to walk with them in this life as their wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father and as prince of peace. See, the Christian, we know that the birth of Jesus is an entrance of his life into a world of death and that he was born in order that we might be born again, that we might find new birth in him. In fact, pastor of about 100, 150 years ago, G.K. Chesterton said that when the church sings Christmas carols, these are in fact echoes of the cry that renewed the world. When we sing Christmas carols, we are singing of our king breaking into the darkness and light being born. Our singing, our hoping, our praying, our trusting in King Jesus is grounded in his power to complete and accomplish his purposes. And this work that he began in our hearts, in our souls, and bringing us from darkness to light and bringing us from death to life will be completed when he returns. At Christmas, our hope is not just in the baby that came, but in the king that one day will return. And the sureness of it is found in verse 7 when he says of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our hope this Christmas is that King Jesus' purposes for his church cannot be stopped and will not be thwarted. His kingdom will continue to expand as it is doing in his church, not just here, but globally. As his rule over his people is made known and grows. And so the promise that we have at Christmas is that Christ himself has come to us. And Christ himself will come to us again. This is the hope that we have as Christians. And it is the hope that if you do not know Christ, that you would come to know. That you are not invited to come and adore a little baby who that's kind of cute 2,000 years ago. What in the world does that mean to me today? You are invited to come and know the God who has created you. And the God who can give you life. Not life just breathing, but life supernaturally, that you might have a relationship with him, that you might know him, that you might commune with him, that you might know him as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, your everlasting father, your prince of peace. Hallmark movies are so predictable. The story of Christmas is predictable. But the predictability of what we look back upon, let's not allow it to drown out the sureness of what we anticipate that is still to come. The nostalgia of looking back upon Christ must fuel the unwavering hope that we have of what is still to come. For if we celebrate the virgin birth, if we celebrate God taking on flesh, Let us celebrate with eyes not only looking back, but looking forward to the return of our King. He who sent the baby Jesus will one day send King Jesus, and we await that day by waiting with hope today. 
And the thing that we wait with hope in is not in anything in ourselves to bring the kingdom of Christ. But in the promise of God who sent the baby Jesus. See the very last line of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will send King Jesus. We anticipate his coming. And Christmas simply reminds us that our God is faithful. That he is good. That we can wait upon him with hope. Because he is with us as we wait. And his coming is sure. Let's pray together. Lord God, we celebrate and we anticipate the coming of Christ. We pray, O oh God, that Christ would be near and that he would be treasured in the hearts of all of us who are gathered here. May our celebration of Christmas not simply be nostalgic, but be rich in gladness who has drawn near to us. Christ who comes to the unfaithful, to the unbelieving, and gives them life. Maybe the vividness of the birth of Christ produce worship in our hearts that perhaps we have never had before. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.